This is Women Road Warriors with Shelley Johnson and Kathy Takaro. From the corporate office to the cab of a truck, they're here to inspire and empower women in all professions. So gear down, sit back, and enjoy. Welcome to Women Road Warriors with Shelley Johnson and Kathy DeCaro. We're a show that works to inspire and empower women in every profession and lifestyle, including the office, trucking, the trades, and even motherhood. We power women on the road to success. We tackle all kinds of topics and we work to encourage women to be their very best with informative guests and women who've been champions. I'm Shelley. And I'm Kathy. No topic is taboo on our rig. We tackle the tough topics along with the not-so-tough topics. And we like to feature experts and celebrities who can assist women in being the very best they can be. Parenting is one of the toughest jobs in the world. And sometimes it feels like parents and children speak a totally different language, especially when they become teenagers. Many moms feel like they're reaching a meltdown. Today we have the author of seven strategies to keeping your relationship with your kids from hitting the boiling point. Catherine Winter Celery is a parenting coach and one of the creators of the Guidance Approach to Parenting. This is a program that applies conflict resolution skills to communicating more effectively with children. She's conducted workshops, TED Talks, and guided educators, social workers, and medical professionals on how to talk with children of any age, whether they're five or 95. Catherine trained with the late Marshall B. Rosenberg. He was the creator of Nonviolent Communication. She also studied with Thomas Gordon, who created parent effectiveness training in the 1960s and eventually created the Gordon Model of Conflict Resolution. Catherine is certified by his institute as a leadership effectiveness training instructor. She's also certified by the Effectiveness Training Institute of Australia in his parent effectiveness model. Catherine is also a trained mediator. She attended law school has certifications in different trauma models, and she also teaches a breathing meditation modality with the Art of Living Foundation. Wow, there's so much we can learn from Catherine. She has some marvelous credentials. Thank you so much, Catherine, for being on the show today. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm excited to have this conversation today. I'm wondering where we start. Uh, What motivated you to begin helping people with how they talk to their kids Do they even talk today? It seems like all they do is text. (laughs) Mm, No, that's such a good point. I mean, so much communication, unfortunately, has left the traditional, let's sit down and have a, you know, a conversation to, well, we'll hide behind a text message. And so many mistakes happen there, but it's almost like a safety mechanism. It takes courage sometimes to have conversations. Why is it children, especially once they start becoming teenagers, think their parents know nothing? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I actually think that that has a lot to do with just connection. And when parents direct and direct and direct, as opposed to tune into like what's going on for the other Mm -hmm. and listening to what their kids have inside of them, Mm -hmm. then kids begin to shut out the other person, the parent. So it's a reflection usually that the kids are not feeling like they're seen, heard and understood. Okay. How how do parents understand children? I mean, sometimes they're a real curiosity. It's like you have a space alien sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, no, I completely agree. You know, there's an old model, which was the authoritarian model, which re- basically said children are to be seen and not heard. Yeah. 
And with that seen and not heard perspective, there also came embedded some other beliefs around children needing to do as they're told, because I said so. I mean, the list goes on and on. We kind of know all of these. And what it really implies is that there is an unconscious bias that has been passed down through the ages, which is really marginalizing that children are people too. And recognizing that while they may be developmentally at a different place, and of course that's true, but they still have their own thoughts and they have their feelings. And their thoughts and feelings, when we acknowledge them and bring them into the conversation, shifts the conversation so that they can feel basically like they understand themselves. You know, there's an mm-hmm. expression, name it to tame it. So when you can name the feelings, they no longer have power over us. And when children can feel seen, heard, and acknowledged from their perspective, it's like giving them a vocabulary to understand what's going on inside of themselves. That then gets reflected back to us because they learn how to be considerate of other people's needs and feelings as well. Sure. My parents were older, so I definitely was um, brought up with the children or to be seen and not heard. I mean, my I, I would say that my mother would have made a really good military sergeant uh-huh. in some ways, at least that was my perception. And my sister was a good deal older. And I remember I was able to communicate better with her. Yes. And I, I felt like she was kind of on my side and I had an alliance there. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and she acknowledged you. She saw you. She treated you like a human being. It wasn't just do as you're told. Sure. And um when I became a teenager, of course, my sister was out of the house long before that. And I remember there was a, a lot of arguing that went on with my mom. I, I was trying to assert myself, I think, maybe because I hadn't been listened to as much. Um, well, it tends it, to be the case. Like you wouldn't need to assert yourself if you'd already been seen, heard and acknowledged. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, that's really the fulcrum point right here is this idea that children are just supposed to do as they're told. It sounds so basic, but yet it's such a strong belief that we have Mm -hmm. that when we see children doing something other than that, we label it as disrespectful. And then we end up, because we have this thought in our head and we believe our judgment, then we end up responding to the way that we see it. Mm -hmm. So the narrative we have about it is actually commanding our own feelings around it. If we can change the narrative, if we can see that there's something else going on here other than the judgment, like putting judgment aside is one of, I would say, the crucial steps in getting past the conflict to connection and moving from just being oppositionally opposed and on our corners and seeing each other through our our judgment, our hurt, maybe our disconnection to kind of like put all of that aside and move into this new land of, okay, so what's going on for you? And, you know, I really do care about your feelings and needs. And I want us to develop a relationship based on consideration, not because I told you so, or I have power over you, but because, yeah, you matter to me. And I know I matter to you. And we need to start connecting in ways that have nothing to do with power, mm-hmm. the power of position, the power of power. Sure. I, I remember my mom saying when I was an adult saying, you know, you were the toughest child to say no to. I learned to be a really effective negotiator, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, because uh, it didn't make sense to me when mom would say, because I'm your mother. That mm-hmm. wasn't a good reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for a lot of people, that isn't a good reason. And it activates retaliation, rebellion and resistance. It's called the three R's. And so when we activate the three R's because we're using that power over, Mm -hmm. and in your case, it's like, well, that's not a good reason. So you were just kind of like, that's not working on me. Mm -hmm. 
And so you would push back and resist. So that's one of the R's. You were a resistor. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know if you were a retaliator and a rebeller as well. Oh, I did that as a teenager. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you had all the R's in the house, every one Mm -hmm. of them. Mm -hmm. Now, what your mother didn't realize was that she activated those in you because she came from this place of power over. Okay. Now, my sister didn't have those issues with mom, but she's got a different personality too. So, because I remember her saying to me, don't argue. (laughs) Just don't yeah. argue. <laughs> so she was a belonger and you were the autonomous one. I talk about that in my training. So with the autonomous child, they're prepared to risk your displeasure in order to be self-directed. Okay. Right? So they're prepared to risk their parents' displeasure in order to be self-directed. They're not people pleasers, in other words. Mm-hmm. Where the belonger is more prepared to please in order not to activate the parents' um, response And so your sister got really good at just making mom okay, not rocking the boat. Mm -hmm. So the people who don't want to rock the boat are concerned that the powers that be in the family are going to end up getting activated if you challenge their authority. Mm -hmm. And so in your case, you were okay with that. In her case, she wasn't. But I was also a people pleaser too. So that was really kind of a complex situation. And With mom though? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that too. Yeah. Um, I would get more recognition, I think, from my dad than my mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was. I became a perfectionist. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. That's what uh-huh. drives the family dynamics is that, well, if I'm perfect, uh-huh. then you won't criticize me. Sure, sure. Oh, it's so complicated when you're growing up. And, and when you're a parent and you're trying to understand, especially if you've never raised a child, you know, they, they don't come with instructions. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Nobody gets the manual. That's what I've been saying is that it's just so extraordinary of all the jobs in the world. This one is so complicated. Yeah. This one with the human dynamic and transgenerational patterns being, you know, projected onto our children when we ourselves are, you know, kind of in the shadows about our own ways of being, the unexamined life, it just gets pushed onto one generation after another. And we repeat patterns over and over again until we can heal them. And so, yes, you know, this is where the manual would be really helpful. Oh, yeah. And, and when, goodness, I mean, you've got all the different demands and then all of a sudden they're in the terrible twos. And because you've said no so much, that's the first word they learn, isn't it? Yeah, of course, right? That's so good. They've learned it from us. You know, I'd like to say when they're saying no, there is that idea of, you know, between the ages of zero to five, there's undifferentiated consciousness. They don't even realize where like you and I are not the same. And so it's not until they develop around the years of five where there is a sense of separate self, but they're beginning to practice these things of being, you know, like, oh, I have a self of my own. I have my own identity. And part of that is the word no. And, you know, it's almost as though they just are learning to be able to say, ah, there's something of me that has its own preferences and it gets to say no. And that is a really cute phase if you have that perspective. (laughs) Kathy, what were the challenges you ran across with your daughter? Well, with my daughter, um, it's it's a little different. Well, not different. I was in a very bad uh, domestic violence situation when she was three. And so it was very, um, I kept trying to protect her and trying, you know, 
to show her the good sides instead of the violent side of, 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 of I was trying to I don't even know how to say it. Oh, my God. It was such an awful situation that I was just trying to protect her from everything. And so we became almost codependent <laughs> on each other. Right. Be trying to survive the, the, these awful situations because that that situation lasted for um, seven and a half years. And there was a lot of moving, a lot of changing schools, and I was trying to make up for it. And I was drinking at the time. I will not win the, the Mother of the Year award. I can tell you that right now. And I've told her that many times. Um, I ended up having to, to send her to her dad's when she was 10 because I was in such a bad situation. Um, I had a bodyguard following me. I was under constant death threats. And it, 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 I was in and out of women's shelters and trying to keep my job. Like, it, was, it was such a mess. And so to this day, um, you know, I, like her and I were, were really close, but um, I do say, you know, I mean, I did the best I can with what I had, right? Like even myself growing up, it was like, we, we grew up in, under extremely violent con conditions as well. So we, we were walking around, I was the pleaser walking around on, on eggshells. So not to, to anger my, my stepfather and get a beating out of it or, you know, suffer the consequences of whatever it was. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, never rocking that boat, like you said, never, never wow. saying anything to, to disrupt the, the, sure. the, the dynamics. Right. Yeah. So it, it took me a long time to, to get over that and to learn to have a voice and have my own boundaries. And I mean, I had to go to treatment when I was 40 to 42 and figure that out. I had to unlearn all that. And then sure. I had to real, excuse me, relearn who Kathy was without all of that included. Right. And all yeah. those negative messages that you're ugly, you're stupid, you're fat, you're, you'll never amount to nothing. And you know, you pollute the air and things like that. Like who says that you pollute the air? I still can't. I, anyway or you're a waste of skin or whatever so it took me a long time to unwind all that get rid of it and then learn how awesome I am and that I'm a rock star <laughs> and that I freaking you know um and then it, but the hardest part between that was accepting it and I and I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people out there who are listening to this show that are going to feel the same right? mm, yeah I mean you know, when you come from a dysfunctional family system of which, frankly, I don't even know anybody who doesn't, um, to one degree or another, right? So yeah. if there's a whole spectrum of that, it sounds like in your case, it was extremely severe. And you have parents who are themselves so out of balance. Yeah. And they're carrying forward, I'm sure, what was a life legacy of trauma. Yeah. That they themselves, you know, have not uh, actually dealt with. And so they're then passing it down to the next generation, your generation, but you, you stopped that, right? You're the one I who think said, no, yeah. no more. I'm this starting this. This is where <laughs> I'm it ends. breaking that cycle right here. Right. God bless. Yeah. That is, that is so powerful to break the cycles. And that's really the only thing I think we can do is to just not carry it forward is to be responsible for, okay, wow, you know, this whole thing that's coming forth from me is, I don't even know where it came from. Like this is some imprint that's been passed down through the generations. Who knows how long ago this, this imprint started and it doesn't matter. All that matters is I refuse to continue in this pattern. And those patterns are hard to break. It's kind of interesting. I've had words come out of my mouth going, wow, that's something mom used to say when I was a kid. It's like, exactly. how is it still there? I know. Exactly. Yeah. I completely agree I with do. you. It's astonishing 
these patterns are so deeply entrenched that, I mean, the joy is that you, you know, were able to notice it Mm -hmm. and be able to say like, wow, that doesn't even sound like me, but I know who it does sound like. And, but it is coming through my mouth. Um, So, you know, like, wow, hold on a minute. I did not even mean that. And, you know, if any harm has been done by those words being spoken, I completely take responsibility and I am going to break this pattern. Yeah, and it's tough to do. Um, I think that the realization also came the first time I looked in the mirror and like, oh my God, that's my mother. (laughs) (laughs) You know. Ah, ah, That's so great. (laughs) I know, I know, I know. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree in some ways and in other ways it really does fall far from the tree. And that would be Kathy where, you know, in your case, I think the apple fell really far from the tree. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a time in which it didn't. And then you were like, no, uh-uh. And you hit your rock bottom. And now that apple and that tree are really far apart. You broke patterns. Stay tuned for more of Women Road Warriors coming up. Industry movement Trucking Moves America Forward is telling the story of the industry. Our safety champions, the women of trucking, independent contractors, the next generation of truckers, and more. Help us promote the best of our industry. Share your story and what you love about trucking. Share images of a moment you're proud of. And join us on social media. Learn more at truckingmovesamerica.com. Welcome back to Women Road Warriors with Shelly Johnson and Kathy Takaro. If you're enjoying this informative episode of Women Road Warriors, I wanted to mention Kathy and I explore all kinds of topics that will power you on the road to success. We feature a lot of expert interviews. Plus, we feature celebrities and women who've been trailblazers. Please check out our podcast at womenroadwarriors.com and click on our episodes page. We're also available wherever you listen to podcasts on all the major podcast channels like Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Amazon Music, Audible, you name it. Check us out and bookmark our podcast. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, LinkedIn, YouTube, and other sites. And tell others about us. We want to help as many women as possible. Now back to our interview with Catherine Winter Celery. Another thing I had to, to learn to break, to change, I guess you could say, was because I, I was carrying around all this guilt inside from, mm. be, number one, being an alcoholic and not being able to provide the, the proper mothering or the proper care or, you know, the proper environment, loving, safe environment, because it wasn't safe, no. um, that I, I was overwhelmed with guilt and I didn't know how to, to manage that. And so what I would do is that I would try to overcompensate by buying her things, <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. And I would try to like, not buy, like buy her forgiveness in, in a sense. And sure. uh, I had to learn in recovery that no, you got to stop that right now because you're never going to make up for it like that. You have to, like, you know, kind of like uh, break the mold and prove your point who you are today, not who you were back then. Right. And so yeah, that I think took, that's where that, that responsibility thing comes in. It's that I think when you're trying to buy their forgiveness, yeah, that, you know, I understand that place. I think we all have been there at times in our lives where there's that sense of, oh, gosh, you know, I, maybe it's a shame storm where there's that idea of I'll do anything to make this feeling in me go away. 
And, you know, if this will assuage it, then I'll do that. But ultimately it doesn't really resolve it because to be honest, there's nothing to be ashamed of. There's something to be responsible for. You can't be ashamed of a pattern that you had absolutely no part in creating in a lineage that's gone on for, yeah, you know, forever. Mm-hmm. And you were a part of, and it was imposed upon you at a time in your life when you were young and you were trying to survive. And like, none of that was chosen at a certain level. It was all just happening. It was life happening, unfolding. And it was tragic. And there was people that got hurt, including you and your daughter. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, it's not your fault. There is no fault. There's nobody to blame or shame or anything. It just happened. And it's tragic and it's hurtful. And the only solution is to just be like, okay, yeah, no more, no more. And all that happened from those horrible patterns, I, I take responsibility for in the sense that I will change the trajectory of this family. Yeah. Now, when people do that, do they sometimes get pushback from the family because they don't want change? Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Because they're still in the pattern. And what's safe for them is to stay in the pattern, even as it's killing them and everybody else. That comfort zone, right? Yeah. That comfort zone. Yeah. I mean, it's so, 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 so tragic because, you know, you said it's, I think you said, Shelly, if I understood a minute ago, it was mm-hmm. like, where did this come from? It's as though there is a spell that's been cast yeah. and we're under a spell. And that actually, I did one of my TED talks is about that spell being under a spell where it's like, I'm living a life repeating patterns, but I'm not really deciding or choosing the pattern chose me. I'm Mm -hmm. under the veil Mm -hmm. and I continue to roll with this pattern because it is of course, where I call it the path of least resistance. It's where the family, you know, has gone and always has been. And it's different for every family with regard to living in some sort of level of dysfunction. And you don't even know you're under the pattern when you're in it. Somehow, somehow we know deep inside of us, this isn't healthy. And that is pushing us and pushing us and pushing us that little part inside, which is just like, no, keep going, keep looking, keep going, keep looking. This ain't it yet. And that nudging from within, I believe, is what keeps us going until we finally break free from the dysfunctional patterns, the codependency, as you mentioned, Kathy. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are, I'm going to call it the human condition. You know, the thing about the word codependency is that it pathologizes the human condition, where I would say pretty much everybody has some level of codependency in their relationships. So let's not, you know, let's not go around pathologizing it. Let's just realize, wow, this is the human condition. And these dynamics within relationships are as common as, as anything. It's more common to find a dysfunctional pattern than it is a functional one. So it's not about shaming or blaming or making any of that. It's just about, wow, we have all been bathed in all of these patterns that are so not life-giving. And yes, it takes courage because I'm sure you paid a price to cut those relationships and change. And the people with whom you were saying, okay, we're not going to relate on this level anymore. Some of them weren't willing to relate on a different level. Sure. And you know, like you were saying, the word codependency has been kind of demonized. I mean, we're born codependent. Yeah. (laughs) You know, as infants, we have to have somebody help us. You know, we can't do it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really is. It's just, you know, one of my favorite books, I don't know if you guys have ever read Alice Miller's book, The Drama of the Gifted Child. I've heard about it. 
It's so good. Really recommend it. Um, and she talks about when the primary caregiver affected the child in order to fulfill its own unmet narcissistic needs. So there's a healthy narcissism up until about, I think the level, you know, maybe five, six, seven, something like that, where really the child being the center of the universe and getting mm -hmm. itself seen, heard and acknowledged and yeah. reflected back. So you're feeling sad. That's really upsetting to you. You're frustrated when those words are reflected back and that child begins to develop its vocabulary and being like, Oh, that's the word that matches my internal state of being. Now I have a new word to describe myself. We move away then from just behaving out of our emotional states of being and being able to name the emotional state rather than just have a behavior. Does that all make sense? Oh yeah. 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 Right. So that if it doesn't happen and for so many, like it kind of takes us back to the beginning of this conversation for so many families, we didn't grow up with a family that was doing that. Instead, when we had an emotional response, we were made to go to our room. How dare you speak to me that way? What do you mean? You go sit in your room until you can come back out and be a nice girl. You know, that kind of a response. Right. Yeah. So the emotional response of the child threatened the primary caregiver who was coming from that place of there's only one response here. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes, ma'am. Um, right. And there's only one emotional response, which is um, the happy face. So through that kind of programming, that's where they call it cathecting. So the parent cathects that child to reflect the parent back at all times. Their separation and individuation is not allowed. It's forbidden. The idea that you could have a different emotional response to a situation and have a different something going on inside of you is just not allowed. Mm -hmm. So this idea of separating and individuating is actually a threat. And so a lot of families, like I know for myself, I really didn't ping into Alice Miller's work until frankly about 12 years ago. And I'd been training already for, I don't know, 15 years. And the level that 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 touched in me was like, oh my God, I've never separated and individuated. I'm still trying to please. I'm still trying to make the other person okay all the time. Like, what is that about? Like, why isn't it okay for me to just be like, you know, this might be you know, hard for you to hear, but I really am not aligned with that and be okay with that other person's emotional eruption. But if you've grown up in families where the other's emotional eruption is really like, wow, then you just learn not to ever evoke that in someone. And your concern is more about the other than it is about being true to yourself. Sure. Yep. You know, yeah. what's, inter what's interesting when I, I think it was around the age of three or four, um, I remember looking in the mirror and realizing I was separate from my mother. It was, wow. kind, of, it was kind of a weird thought. And I don't know why I remember that, but I I, I realized That's extraordinary. Yeah, and maybe that was part of why I was such a rebel. I don't know. Yeah, that's really profound. That's a really incredible thing that you were able to have a separate sense of self. Mm -hmm. Like, wow. I just go, wow. I didn't get that till I was 50. But, you know, I think that it kind of went into dormancy. <laughs> conditioning. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's so funny. So it was there for a moment. And then I don't know what happened. Right.
<laughs> oh no, that's so funny. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. When well, did it reemerge? Well, you know, within, you know, the past few decades, but ser- mm. you know, I I spent a lot of time fumbling around, you know. Yeah. <laughs> in yeah. adulthood and all of that like, who am I? You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's so great. I mean, it's funny. I remember my first training with Marshall Rosenberg, the founder for the Center for Nonviolent Communication and the father of restorative justice. And Marshall was, he was an extraordinary man. And I was in a group training. I don't know, this was probably 20 years ago or something. And um, there were a couple of people there from Sweden. And what stood out to me as, you know, these trainings are 10 days long, you know, they're just like, they're incredibly intense, was how they were so willing to just speak what was happening for them from their perspective over and over again, as it really rattled the room. Like they brought in a freshness that was so, oh my gosh, dangerous. You know, what was it that Coco Chanel said something along the lines of, um, to the most dangerous thing still is to speak up out loud. (laughs) to speak your thoughts out loud. That's like still the most dangerous thing. And it really is extraordinary how dangerous that is. Oh yeah. It's extraordinary how dangerous that is. I mean, I look at it, you know, I've been in Hong Kong the last 32 years. And before that I lived in China back in the early eighties. And I was there at a time during the anti-foreigner cultural pollution campaign. It was right after the gang of four was on trial and the cultural revolution had ended. And they were just starting to, in a post-Mao era, experience foreigners. Like no foreigners were in the country for 30 years. And, you know, I was right out of college. I was teaching at a university in China. There were 11 foreigners in the province and they started the anti-foreigner cultural pollution campaign, which was basically targeted against me and the other foreigners in the, in the province. And we got brought into the communist parties, you know, room where they had assigned a communist party representative who was going to follow me around every day. I was there for a year and report on my activities, behavior, what I was talking about with the other people to the communist party every Saturday. Like this is Kafka-esque stuff. Like you just don't like, there's no context for anything like even close to this. Sure. And it was because of thoughts and that I would be coming in. I grew up in Colorado with this whole different mindset then somebody that I was teaching, and I was young, I just graduated, I think it was like 22, maybe, when I started teaching there. And my students were almost my age. And it was really radical that I would be allowed to teach there and come in with this sort of whole different thought idea about so many different things. Mm-hmm. And that would be so dangerous. Yeah. It is dangerous. And right now in Hong Kong, I mean, it's become a big deal because since the British left in 97, yep. it has been pretty tame. But once those students started demonstrating a few years ago, mm-hmm. they poked the bear. Yep. And now that bear is like coming down hard. Those kids are in prison now. I mean, it's like, don't you go speaking out about things like, you know, free speech, democracy, wanting to have a stand. Like those things, you just, you know, you can be prosperous, you can make money, you can do all of this stuff, but you can't have that liberty. That's so scary. Oh my Isn't goodness. that scary? Yeah, very, very much so. I Absolutely. Know. Yeah, just well, crazy. But here's the thing. It happens in families. Yes, it does. It really does. It's the same thing. So it's just as scary to a government as it is to a family system, a dysfunctional family system, where the healthiest family systems are where literally 
everybody in the family can go around and voice, okay, from your perspective, you know, John, Jane, Judy, you know, and basically go through the family system and see that each and every person has their own perspective. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. And I have mine. And that's okay, too. And they may all be different. And we still love each other. And we can still respect each other. We don't have to be the same. So very true. That's a great perspective. Stay tuned for more of Women Road Warriors coming up. Great leaders challenge their people not to stop at the first right answer. Tighten the Lug Nuts is the book that will help you move past that first right answer to be more effective, more productive, and more successful. This book serves as a blueprint that can be easily applied by leaders, entrepreneurs, truckers, owner-operators, all of us in our everyday lives. This is one of the best leadership books you can read to help you accelerate towards your personal and professional goals. Plus, a portion of the proceeds will be donated to truckerschristmasgroup.org. Visit tightenthelugnuts.com to order your copy today. Kathy DeCaro is nothing short of amazing. She not only drives the world's biggest truck as a heavy equipment operator in Northern Alberta, Canada. She's an international motivational speaker and the author of Dream Big, an autobiography about overcoming a lifetime of trauma and abuse that led to dreams of success. Kathy inspires people the world over to change their lives and improve their self-worth. Her book will change your life. She's passionate about personal growth and believes anyone can change their circumstances and overcome their obstacles if they believe in themselves. Her life will amaze you and seriously inspire you. Be sure to order a copy of her book, Dream Big, on Amazon.com. Welcome back to Women Road Warriors with Shelley Johnson and Kathy Takaro. So your book has seven strategies to keeping the relationship with your kids from hitting the boiling point. Can you kind of touch on that? I, I want people to obviously read your book, but what are some takeaways for our listeners right now on maybe where to start? Okay. Yeah, I'm happy to. So I think we'll just start with this. Everybody needs to re really get this. 75% of behavioral disruptions, which is three out of four, are retaliation, rebellion, and resistance. The three R's. The three R's are activated by a controlling form of discipline. So the power over thing that we were talking about before, because I said so, because I'm your father, because I'm your mother. Um, that perspective to problem solving and conflict resolution, that in and of itself activates the three R's, which account for three out of four of your problems. So if, if you take nothing else away from this conversation today, just recognize that every time you could explain what you're experiencing as, oh, they're retaliating, rebelling, or resisting, then recognize you started it. I know that might seem harsh. It's actually really good news because you have the power and control to shift to a different type of conflict resolution. That is essentially what has to happen. People who hear this might go, well, what else do I do? I'm worried. I'm this, I'm that. And here's the sure. deal, right? Everybody, I'm going to just make one blanket assumption that every mom and dad out there is really coming from a place of love, coming from a place of concern, worry. I mean, 
safety is huge. Mm-hmm. And in yeah. that, from that place, we as parents, you know, we just, you know, we, we approach conflict as, as a, like, you know, almost like in the background, I hear the siren, you know, it's like, everything's an emergency and we have to keep our children safe and it'll all do anything, whatever it takes, right. That kind of a thing. Well, children are people too, and they want to keep themselves safe as well. And they're reasonable as long as you're reasonable. Right. (laughs) I think a lot of it has to do with parents just kind of like taking that deep breath, stepping back a little bit and saying, how am I approaching this conflict? Would I approach this conflict with my mother or my grandmother or a neighbor or a best friend in the same way? That's kind of the litmus test. I think it's the easiest way to cut through to see whether or not there's an unconscious bias around ageism. They're supposed to do it because I said so. If I give in, they're going to manipulate me. There's all this kind of script that we have, whether we're aware of it or not, that we we have inside that triggers what we think is our need to use power and control. The more power and control we use, the less influence we have. So really, it's about learning collaborative problem-solving skills so that you can have conflict resolution without retaliation, rebellion, and resistance, that we can have effective outcomes where there's behavioral change, that's going to be the definition of effective. Like we get the behavioral change, but we get it without activating the three R's or hurting the other person's self-esteem. I remember as a child watching Charlie Brown and when the adults would talk, you'd hear, wah, wah, wah. (laughs) I thought that was so appropriate. You know? It is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So funny. I love that. There's just no connection going on. Uh I mean, that would, I guess, be the second thing. I mean, the two big things here are to recognize that most of the conflict is secondary. It's not actually your primary issue. Most of your conflicts that you're having in terms of the way they're talking to you, if you want to say, you know, words like disrespectful, then I would say that's a judgment. It's not actually telling me what's going on. And if I were to interview the child, I bet they would also say my parents are disrespectful to me. Mm -hmm. So there's the mirror, mirror on the wall. I see it all the time and we can cut through it. And again, it's not about, you know, no fault, no blame, no guilt, no shame. I mean, that's the mantra. And if we come from the no fault, no blame, no guilt, no shame place, then it helps parents just move into, you know, I wanted to be responsible for our interaction the other day. I feel like I was calling you names. I feel like I was, you know, approaching this from a place in which it's no wonder you were defensive. I own that. I mean, I know that's what I was bathed in. I feel like I'm repeating a pattern. I feel like I've been sleepwalking in that pattern. I'm waking up. I don't want to be in that pattern anymore. And we need to have a conversation because I do worry about la la la. So you got to change the footing so that children are learning about something called consideration. Consideration motivates change, not because of fear or dependency, where power and control motivate change because of fear and dependency. And you've got some kids who are going to say, screw you, mom, dad, right? They're going to go straight into the retaliation, rebellion, and resistance. Or you have some of them who will swallow all of that and do it because they're not prepared to risk your disapproval, but they're still resentful. And as they get older and older, those are the ones who, as they have more agency, you'll start to see the resentment flow come out later. I had a woman um, in one of my trainings the other day talking about um, how her adult child came home for the holidays with her husband and was basically 
so upset and saying things like, you know, you never heard me. And now this is the adult child who it's probably taken her her whole life to have this conversation. Sure. And, you know, as hard as it was for mom to hear, I just wanted to help mom hear it with love that this is so beautiful that this is someone who's finally found her voice to speak up about an experience or a whole lifetime of experiences of feeling marginalized, not seen, heard, or understood from her perspective, made to feel like speaking up was disrespectful so that it became this choice between I either disrespect myself in order to be respectful to the powers that be, or I try to figure out how to speak up for myself and teach the powers that be that this is not being disrespectful to them. It's me having a voice that's contrary to that voice. And what I really want to figure out is how I can have my voice as a younger person without it turning into disrespect. Right. You know, like my mom, uh, my mom moved in with me when I bought my house three years ago and she was an alcoholic her whole life. And, um, uh, when she, like, I've been trying to help her for the last, cause I have nine years sober and I've been trying to help her for the last, you know, nine years yeah. and it took her until she moved into my house, um, for she, she quit drinking finally, which is fabulous. She's got three years sober. I'm very proud of that, <clears throat> but yes. it took me, it, we just started having conversations that we should have had when I was a teenager yeah and it took me this long to actually find the courage to say you know when you did this and this and this back then it really hurt me but I couldn't I didn't have the ability to have that voice right because I grew up in fear and don't want to rock that boat and correct but she's 70 she's going to be 77 here next week and it's taken this long for us like I'm 52 to have a conversation congratulations congratulations yes absolutely (laughs) but Kathy this is you're doing profound work like I really honestly my my parents have both passed and I you know I'm a trainer I've been doing this for 25 years I would bring home my entire program every summer and try to have these conversations. And what I would hear from my mother was, there's nothing wrong with my communication. (laughs) Okay, well, at least my mom's really open. We're actually talking. So I got to learn how to love this person just the way she was, where she was so threatened to even open the door. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you and your mom are able to have these conversations in real time you're kind of clearing a pattern for a whole generation. And I, I know it feels like it's just you and your mom, but it's not. It's you and your mom having those conversations that so many other people wish they had and didn't yeah. get to. I know it's changed everything. I mean, we've become so close and um, it, it's just, I'm thinking, why didn't we have this like 30 years ago? Why wasn't I able to talk back then? But I mean, I was overwhelmed with other stuff and I get it, sure. right? But yeah. I find I'm really lucky because, I mean, you, you know, time is so precious because, I mean, yes. blink, blink of an eye, she, she could be gone or I could be gone. And we yep. would never have those conversations. Yeah. Exactly. And, and I know one thing in my nursing years, I, I was a nurse for 13 years. Um, I dealt with a lot of people who are at the end of life. And the biggest, most important thing to them that was that, that, that they were. Uh, filled with was regret regret that they didn't have these conversations regret that they were dying and they they didn't forgive or they didn't love enough or they didn't say i'm sorry or you know they didn't travel they didn't do anything and now it's too late 
Yeah. And so yeah. I remember back then I was looking at these, these situations wherever I would be in and I'm saying, you know, I'm not going to live like that. I'm not going to live my life filled with regret. I'm going to, if I got, if I love someone, I'm going to say it, or if I want to go somewhere, I'm, I'm going to do it. And right. that's how I've lived my life to this day. Yeah. Right. I've tried to mend those broken pieces and fix things because in the blink of an eye, it's, it's different and it's gone. Right? Time, time is so precious. Absolutely. And I think the thing that gets in the way of those conversations happening is guilt and shame. Sure. Yeah. Which is why I yeah. keep saying no fault, no blame, no guilt, no shame, no fault, no blame, no guilt, no shame. And I just want to say it so loud so that people can hear there's nothing to feel ashamed of. It happened to you also. You can just take responsibility now. Yep. Just take yep. responsibility for all the unconscious patterning that was implanted, if you will, and impressed upon you in your childhood that you've repeated probably again, under the veil of the spells that were cast. And it's not our fault these spells were cast, but it's our responsibility to move beyond them. Absolutely. We have a couple minutes here, Catherine. There's so many things to unpack. Oh my goodness, uh, you've got so a wealth of information. I want people to be able to find your book um, and maybe... um, change the course of how they communicate. I'm I'm sure there are a lot of desperate parents out there. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, if you go to ConsciousParentingRevolution.com, that is, you know, I post a blog every week. Um, I have a newsletter. I have all kinds of, you know, like three common mistakes that parents make webinar. And I mean, a gaming addiction webinar that I did with Cam Adair, a Canadian guy, actually, who started Game Quitters, which is the largest online game quitters platform in the world. Wonderful man. Um, Anyway, there's tons and tons of free resources for people who are looking for training. I have a 90 day parenting reset. And that's where I literally coach like we're kind of doing right now online every Monday night. And between that, parents watch two or three of my training pre-recorded videos. I have another workbook that is not generally for sale other than for my clients. And that's 20 to 30 pages of reading a week, workbook exercises. And we, over the course of three months, really start to look at like, okay, I am unconsciously unskilled. I didn't even know what I don't know. And we move all the way to consciously skilled where people have the tools and the ability to have the tough conversations to rebuild the relationships. If they've noticed, oh my God, I do have the three R's in the room. I didn't even know I created them. And I am so excited because Here's the thing, you don't have to get the other person to change. All you have to do is have more skills to be able to address those things that are upsetting to you and they will change because of the fact that you're more skilled. And it's, I mean, I, I'm so fortunate. I watch people heal relationships every day. It's huge. Mm-hmm. Your knowledge is huge. Uh, because people do things without even thinking about it, you know? They don't even know what they don't know. And, and you know, as you were saying earlier, like, these, these times in our lives, our primary family relationship affects everything for the rest of our lives. Absolutely. Everything. I everything. Would, I would love to have you back on, Catherine, to really maybe unpack certain aspects of communication and the video gaming um, uh, yeah, topic. <laughs> that's, that's, oh my gosh, video game addictions. That's huge yeah. today. It's my teenager huge. won't leave the basement. Yeah. It's- and the other one that I've got that's huge is, you know, children and anxiety. Okay. Yeah, which is that's... massive. I mean, so many children are so anxious and this was before COVID and now yeah. with COVID it's off the charts. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, bless them. Yeah. So where is your website again, Catherine, just in case. Yes. Didn't write, write so it's it conscious parenting revolution.com. 
Awesome. Oh my goodness, Catherine, you are a wealth of information. You taught me something about myself. This is cool. Oh, you guys. Well, this has been beautiful. I've really enjoyed this conversation. It me was too. great. Thank you so much. Yeah. So, <laughs> this has been really beautiful, heartfelt, wonderful women. Enjoyed being with you today. Thank you so much, Catherine. It's been a pleasure. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Women Road Warriors. And if you want to hear more episodes of Women Road Warriors or learn more about our show, be sure to check out womenroadwarriors.com. And please follow us on social media. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Women Road Warriors with Shelley Johnson and Kathy Takaro. If you want to be a guest on the show or have a topic or feedback, email us at sjohnson at womenroadwarriors.com. Mm-hmm.